Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Friday. Thank God. It's Friday. It's Friday, November the 17th, and we are going to be doing a friendly Friday, as we often do. I'll be bringing on my friend, Stephen Friend. That's enough times to say the word friend for the beginning of this day. Folks, we're going to be getting into some interesting topics today. We're going to be talking some FBI stuff that uh, just came out. Actually, many of you have this instinct that uh, that the deck is rigged. You guys have seen Chris Ray talk. You've seen um, some of these hearings. You've heard what the suspendables have had to say about it. This one actually kind of flipped my lid when I was sitting having lunch the other day. This is uh, came from a tweet that came out of, uh, I think his name is Paul Sperry on Twitter. And then I go and I read the article and it's like, oh my God, of course. And in in many ways, I think we are at a, an interesting tipping point because so many things are starting to converge. There is a convergence of whistleblowers and people that didn't want to be whistleblowers, but are forced into it. There are people that are being revealed. There are FOIAs that are coming out and all this stuff is starting to slowly, I feel like, turn the tide, uh, at least for the ability of the American people to know what the hell actually happened in the last couple of years. We had an awful lot of darkness in this country. Uh, some of it is the feeling of darkness, and some of it is actual like information that has been cloaked from you. And as it comes out more and more, these lies are not going to stand. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what goes on with that. we we'll talk about why people join the FBI. Obviously, they, they want to enforce the FACE Act. What's that? And why are they doing it? We're going we're gonna, to... Uh, sh- sh- shed some light on it, I guess, uh, how thrilled Steve Friend was to go out and arrest abortion protesters. That's what I wanted to do when I enjoyed the FBI, obviously. Uh, that's probably what you guys would think FBI agents spend their time doing. we got a couple other stories in there that we're going to mix in just for good fun. But before we do, let's say thanks to one of the sponsors that we have. How about we say thanks to Catholic Vote, who I'm going to be having a meeting with just after this show ends. There they are. What do we got? CatholicVote.org. Go to the website couple things you can do. Number one, you can check out the loop. That is a an outstanding source of information. I'm going to pull up my loop right now because I looked at it earlier today. I was reading an article just before we got it started. There are 15 red states right now that have embraced ESG, and they have a whole article about it. Uh, it's coming from the blaze. Definitely worth your time to read about that. Do you live in one of these red states where they are enforcing ESG policies despite the fact that you are generally a conservative-dominated state? Worth knowing. Uh, Biden is famining some rumors that uh, Gavin Newsom is going to run for the White House. With some weird statements, he said, sometimes you wonder, is it just because, as my buddy Dan says, he has an oatmeal brain, or is it because he actually thinks that is a good plan, whatever comes out of his mouth? God only knows. And uh, there's also a big piece on there about pro-life organizations that are pushing to reauthorize a program known as the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief. But that plan also offers a bunch of money to pro-abortion groups. Really, really weird. Uh, there's some major conflict of interest when you start getting involved in government. These are stories worth your time in today's loop. You can also give to them. If you click on the top right, you'll see there's an option to give. They keep us rolling every month. We appreciate you guys supporting them. All right, lest we get any too far uh, too far into this thing, let's bring my buddy, the real Steve friend. I need to change my camera view. Ryan is actually at a protest right now, or he's getting set up for the protest that's happening in San Antonio. Some of you guys know about this. There's going to be a, a border invasion discussion, and um, we're going to bring Steve on right here. Let's do it. Boom. One, two, three. The real Steve friend. There he is. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. I'm looking forward to a friendly Friday and a friendly weekend. It's been a long week. 
It has been a long week. You've been on the road. You want to tell people what you've been doing and where you've been traveling? Well, I this month has been uh, pretty travel heavy for me. I was in Noonan, Georgia last weekend and uh, had talked uh, to a group up there. Uh, there was about 45 people, but it was probably like a seven hour drive to get there. And you know, you, you show up and you're like, oh man, you, know, you hope it's going to be like a concert venue. Uh, but they were really receptive, uh, extremely gracious host, uh, sold a bunch of books for them. They were there to support me and uh, they were really activated, which is great because they're one of the most um, conservative leaning counties outside of the, the general Atlanta area. I think they're, they're sort of hell bent on, on swinging that back the other direction. And then yesterday I was up where my folks live in Savannah, Georgia, and addressed the ladies on the right group, which... Uh, had me for the second time. I was there about exactly a year ago. So I gave sort of an update and had the chance to talk about uh, the, the issues that I hope to bring out at the hearing when I testified that didn't really get a chance to, and then also got to, uh, to drop some ordinance on a sitting congressman, which is always a good time. Tell me about this congressman situation. <laughs> So, uh, Buddy Carter from Georgia's first district, he was there because it's, it, you know, they're on recess right now. So I think that they kind of make a point of going around to groups and giving an update. And he was touting the passage of the continuing resolution and the new speaker and, uh, and, and people are kind of just receptive because he's a congressman. So they think he's, he's a, a, one of the good guys. And I had the opportunity to go up and say, you guys passed a continuing resolution that funds the Nancy Pelosi Congress budget levels and everything that I'm talking about that's going on in the FBI got funded. So what good are you? You're essentially just, well, there's no point in voting for your party. It, How was why? that received? Uh, it was loudly received. And, and, uh, I think buddy Carter at first was nodding because he thought I was going to about to give him a compliment. And then he got very upset and, uh, you know, no, look, no ambition to do it, but, uh, I thought for a second, that guy's worried about his job right now because I'm a hometown kid who might be coming for his position. And, uh, you know, he's worried about uh, his career longevity. It's unbelievable that these guys go out there and they just try to spin it. Uh, I heard that George Santos say the same thing. He's like, you know, we got to give some grace, got to give some grace. He's, he's kind of effeminate anyway, but he's like, we got to just give this new speaker like he's a good guy. And this, this. it's like, no, he was in Congress. It's not like he just showed up. It's not like he was living somewhere else and went. Um, oh my God, now I'm in Congress. Like, how do I do this? It's like, you put your name in the hat for speaker. You were already in Congress. You already knew what the promises that were made. You knew what the problems that the country was facing were. Get it done, dude. Like, don't fund the government in a way that we don't want you to fund it. They're all so, so scared of seeing a government shut down on their watch because they it's, think that somehow it's going to fail. That, that's it. That's their only concern. They're still worried about what happened in 1995. I mean, that was almost 30 years ago, and and when Newt Gingrich, uh, you know, was the 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 Gingrich who stole Christmas. Um, newsflash: They actually picked up seats in the 1996 election, even though Bob Dole didn't win the presidential election. The House actually picked up seats. So why don't you take a firm stand here, and instead of urinating on our leg and telling us it's raining when they say, "Oh, we're done giving the uh, the Christmas time omnibus package," and, and let's just say that's a twenty dollar bill. Well, now you're going to give me four five dollar bills and tell me that it's great. Like, no, it's dude. better. The bottom it's better because I gave you twenty dollars over over a longer period of time, but it's the same twenty dollars. Correct. It's unreal, it, man. You know, and, and that's because they think that people are low information and just 
listless vessels who will accept whatever they tell them because they have an R by their name. And that's just unacceptable for us. And, and so we should expect more from people who are supposed to be there fighting on our behalf. Yeah, you might as well have the other side. Um, let's actually let's let's hold off on getting into the FACE Act. I want to do a different one first. I want to jump into this thing because it's relevant to, to members of Congress. So how about we just pull this topic up here? This guy. Okay, I'm just going to read you this. This is an older article from earlier this week, but we'll read it anyway because uh, you guys should keep track of what's happening. We should try to give you some of the updates that are going on in the world. So this is uh, from Red State, which is a great uh, website. If you guys are not following them, redstate.com, very easy to do. Uh, shock records show that Adam Schiff financed a $1.7 million Maryland home as a principal residence. All right. I don't know what's more shocking, that he has two residences and one of them's $1.7 million and it's not in his home district or the fact that he clears at his primary residence when he's supposed to be representing Oh, California. Okay. So a California Republican House hopeful. Uh, he wants to be in the uh, he wants to be in the Senate. He wants to take DiFi's old seat. He's running for California Senate. Just just reported that his primary residence is in Maryland in order to secure a mortgage rate that was of lower interest because it's not a secondary home. It's his primary home. Meaning that he either lied on a federally issued loan document in 2003 to 2021 that he was not or he wasn't a resident of Burbank. I, I don't know how this works. Apparently, there's actually a carve-out, and uh, Steve will get into this in just a second, but apparently there's a carve-out that, that they've made for themselves that they can basically declare whatever residence they need because they need to be around D.C. so much that it becomes like 51-plus percent. So as long as they live 51% of the time near D.C., then they can actually be a primary resident there but still represent the home. Guys, if you have a problem with this, this is the stuff you need to be voting on locally. These rules are actually set up by the state of California, and in your case, wherever your state you're from. Uh, this is a, a little piece here from a House investigator, this woman named Christine Bish, B-I-S-H. She said, I filed a complaint with the House Ethics Committee, and I got an email receipt. They received my submission. I followed up with them, and they said they cannot give me any updates. Well, that sounds like every single government agency I've ever worked with as well. The congressman who was first elected in 2000, so he's been there now 23 years, 23 years, uh, and purchased, purchased this thing in Potomac, Maryland in 2003 for $610,000. Man, that was a pricey house back then even. $610,000 in 2003. Holy moly. All right, so apparently the house is worth 1.4, but he financed it for more than that. That's always interesting. Uh, anyway, there's an entire article here about basically the fact that he's moved over, but he says that uh, you know his children have grown up in Maryland. His daughter's a varsity cheerleader at the local high school. She graduated in the class of 2016. That was seven years ago. I don't know why that's relevant, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, he's got another... Another uh, son who's at that same school, I guess, who's going to graduate. Graduated already in 2021, so also already out. Yeah, competed in track and shot, but like none of these things are relevant to any of this stuff. Anyway, so here we go. Congress people representing districts that they don't live in. Seems like a problem, Steve Friend. You got any issues with people that are basically full-time swamp residents, but uh, also get to go home and still get to represent their states? Yeah, and I think this is going to be interesting, the fact that the current occupant of the DiFi seat lives in Maryland, and he's seeking to take that seat from her and continue to live in Maryland. I actually had a conversation with a candidate who wants to primary Kevin McCarthy, and he doesn't live in the district that McCarthy does. And according to him, in, it's state by state, but in California, you don't have to live in the district that you actually represent. You just have to be a California resident. Okay, but you have to, to at least be a California resident. Yes, yes. But uh, theoretically, you could live in Los Angeles and then run for a district that's Sacramento because it's a soft seat or you have a, a better opportunity there to win. So people sort of 
Yeah. Carpet bag virtually. They bag. They can virtually carpet bag. Why not? Uh, looks like you just kind of froze up on me for a second, or maybe it's on my end here. Um, that's bizarre. And I, I'm wondering how many other states have that thing. We should probably look into this. Folks, if you happen to know in your area, if you can actually live outside of the districts that you are in, and if you're able to literally add yourself into a uh, add yourself into a place where you don't actually live. Very strange. Um, we're going to do another sponsor real quick. Steve, I may have to have you come back in. If you can hear me, we lost you. So come on back to me now in a minute. Uh, just drop out and come on back. So before that happens, folks, let's go ahead and say thanks to a sponsor here. Let's do this one. Let's do this one right here. My friend over at the-suspendables.com. I'm wearing the shirt right now. You guys can see it. That's Garrett O'Boyle's company. Yeah, it is. The dash suspendables.com. Let me say that again and more correctly. That is that is the O'Boyle family company. The dash suspendables.com. Check out his shirts there. You guys can click through any of the merch things. We're still waiting on a shipment in of a bunch of the pins. I know that has been a highly popular thing. If you get the pins, then you can uh, do three of them in the cart. They will get you a free shipping and they will be 30 bucks instead of whatever the normal price is. Worth your time. And uh, yeah, I'm wearing one right now. Look at this. I'm wearing this one. This is the Zelensky special. Big fan of this guy. If you need to go in front of Congress and ask for a bunch of money for the suspendables, that's the way that you would do it. Um, yeah, you could just get yourself set up. We haven't heard a lot about Zelensky for a little while here. We haven't heard much. I don't know where he went. Maybe he's uh, playing the, uh, what, what I called the other day, dick chops? Something like that? Or chopsticks? Chopsticks, that's what I said. I was more clever yesterday than I was uh, today. Fair enough. We're still waiting on Steve Friends. Let me get this, just keep going. This is something I saw that was in Red State as well, and I think it's worth you guys taking a look at. Let me pull the sucker up here. You, you ever get the feeling that they're, they're lying to you? Here's another one. This is the lie. Extensive crime study revealing FBI's massive underreporting of defensive gun use by legal gun owners. This is the second thing from Red State. I had two of these saved up the other day uh, when Ryan was out there. And I wanted to bring them up, but it, we just didn't get to it. This was from Wednesday's show. So I'm just going to share with you now. It's not a, a new article. This goes back to uh, October the 18th. So this is actually last month. But we don't need to break news in order to just understand what's happening here. This is an article that says that the Crime Prevention Resource Center, that's the CPRC, not a Chinese entity, but rather a crime prevention resource center, released the results of an extensive study of FBI statistics and how crimes are prevented by legally armed citizens. That might be you. In fact, I saw there was an entire discussion going on in the chat earlier about uh, revolvers or HK-45s. I don't know. Maybe you guys want to shoot 230-grain uh, lead cannonballs down that are subsonic. Maybe you're into 357 Magnum. For some reason, that was the chat discussion. I don't know what it had to do with or how it came up, but I did see calibers in there and weapon make. So in this finding... It should not come as a surprise to you that the FBI has actually massively underreported the statistics. Now, the numbers that they did are not that that big, but the percentages of what they they failed to report are actually fairly substantial. So Jeff Charles, who I follow on Twitter and is worth a good follow, he's a good libertarian type, um, he wrote about it. So now this is something that's been kind of stretched out. But the numbers themselves, in 2014, they underreported the statistics by 17.4%, 2015 by 24%, 2016, it was an underreporting of 24%. 2017, 25, 2018, roughly 24 and a half, 25, 2019, it was almost 30%. 2020, this is where it gets really interesting. During that pandemic time, when we see something happening like, oh, well, uh, we've got a bunch of people buying guns that are first-time gun owners, people that have never owned guns before, they did an underreporting of 37.7% in 2020. 
and that only got worse. Almost 50% underreporting in 2021. That was right in the middle of the massive kind of wave of the pandemic, 49%. Um, and 2022, another 41%. I just got an update from Steve. He said, dude, the internet is out. I am now going to walk around my block and look for AT&T trucks. Yeah, I'm sure that's totally coincidental. Um, that's fine. That's fine, Steve. We'll catch you another time. <laughs> Whenever Steve can come back in, he will. Folks, uh, the fact of the matter is that there's a broad trend line in this particular article talking about how the FBI is underreporting the, the increasing, and they are actually underreporting more and more every year going from 2014 until the current year. We don't have 2023 statistics yet. That's pretty wild with 2022 being the only one that had dropped, but it's still a 40% under-reporting. Um, this this con- makes people concerned. Why? Because if you don't have the statistics to be able to judge what's going on, then you're going to have to rely on leftist statistics, like people like uh, Every Town for Gun Violence or the uh, moms that are uh, demanding action. Um, folks, can you just give these moms some action? This is, a, this is a plea to dads. If you're a father and you've got a mom who's demanding action, you know what your job is. That's, what, that's part of your marital duties. Please do that so she's not out there trying to get guns taken away from law-abiding citizens. There's nothing weirder to me than names like that. Moms demand actions. And if you've ever seen them, it's always a mixed bag. They always have one or two like really pretty moms that go up and they speak and they're wearing like an orange shirt, which is hideous. And it says something about, you know, that they're demanding action. It's uh, moms demand action, MDA. Uh, They're doing that. And then you've got like a bunch of like ugly, not attractive moms that are kind of like giving her the you go girls. I've been to these these rallies. I've been to uh, town halls with my former congressman. It was one of the dumbest things that I've ever done sitting there. First of all, I had two what they called assault weapons under Virginia law on my person because I was an FBI agent and I carried a backpack AR-15 into a weird meeting about gun control just for the sake of it, because I could. And then I also carried my handgun, which could accept more than a 20-round magazine in the state of Virginia. That's considered a assault weapon. And so I sat next to this mom who got very upset that some other lady showed up and said, you know, what you guys are saying is wrong and you don't even know what a semi-automatic is and you don't have the facts. And basically your ignorance about guns are very, very exposed right now. And so this lady leans over to me and she's like, can you believe her? And I'm like, yeah, I can, because she's correct. She's actually correct. And she goes, she's really mad. It's gross. These people are not informed. They just have feelings. And these feelings are turned out into political opinions that are actually voted on. And then you have to deal with them. Uh, Mostly because they don't have good information. They don't have good statistics. And maybe you don't either, because the FBI is in fact hiding that information from you. And you should have access to it because you fund the FBI. Think about it when you pay your taxes. What are you paying for? You're paying for federal roads. You're paying for the military. You're paying for the common defense, the things that are supposed to be provided for by our founding document. And if you're going to have federal law enforcement, then in theory, you should have federal law enforcement that actually uh, does what it should do, which is tell the truth. Hey, Steve, friend, do you find any AT&T trucks? You run them off? Man, I ran around the block. I was looking for one of them. I'm showing strong internet signal in the house, all devices up uh, except for apparently my uh, my laptop. So which which streams to our show? <laughs> well, all you missed out on is the fact that uh, <laughs> the FBI is hiding crime statistics about uh, defensive gun use, which is no surprise probably to us. How did you, you've had a, an interesting experience? I think as well because mine was always that uh, feds hate the idea of people owning guns privately. Was that the same the same case in the offices you worked in? Why? Yes. Yeah. I, and it was always a great test. It was a great test of if somebody was going to be a bro or not. You would just go up and be like, hey, man, I'm, I'm thinking about buying this gun. And 
you would show them if they were like really kind of like squirmy and not interested. Like why, why do you need like, to buy oh. a gun? Because uh, the, the Bureau will issue you guns. That's almost like the, the retarded thing they say. will issue you like, all the guns. Yeah, yeah. Well, if the army wanted me to have a wife, the army would have issued me a wife. Like that's kind of the way that I hear that. It's like, it's a joke, except they were serious. They seriously talk that way. Yes. Walk yeah, guys I, too. There, there was actually in the, in the academy, people were just having conversations about, well, I just, I don't think people should have guns. That's, that's not something. And I'm like, you're entering a field where you are going to carry a weapon. Theoretically, you are an advocate for the second amendment because it's, but they, they looked at it the other way. Because you may they or may want not to swore allegiance to it. From, like you actually swore allegiance to the, to the founding yeah. document, including the bill of rights. And, and you take that to the next level where when I got moved over to domestic terrorism, they tried to play it up in my mind. They're like, oh, this is gonna be great for you. This is the, this is the crime, the criminal aspect of terrorism. So you're, you're uniquely qualified and in your head, you're like, yeah, I'm due 98.6 temperature and two arms, two legs. Like that's, you're just plugging me in. But they said the, the crimes you're really going to look for are gun crimes. Like that's your. That's your primary focus. We're trying to get gun crimes on people, which theoretically, like I'm, I'm, I'm an absolutist. You're a First Amendment absolutist. I'm a Second Amendment absolutist. I think that I should be able to have a Harrier jet and nukes because the government has them. And you can say all you want about, oh, I have a tradition of hunting and uh, I would need home defense. Yeah, that's true. I need those because if I don't have them, the government's going to come and shoot me in the face. That's why I need them. I'm I'm less interested in the nuke thing just between us uh, because I think that the storage would be prohibitive for me. But what I am really interested in is tracked armored vehicles that you can either uh, arm or carry arms in. And and that could be in the shape of a bulldozer if it needs to be. My buddy was like, whenever these judges, and by the way, he may or may not work for a federal agency and may or may not carry a badge and a gun. He's like, when these judges start stepping out of their lanes and are stopping bills like you have in Florida, do you know what's going on in Florida with this uh, injunction that just happened for the uh, the drag bill? you see this? No, is this recent? I've been out of the loop here for a couple of days. Okay. So there was a law signed that said that you could no longer allow drag shows where there were going to be children, where the age of the child would be able to perceive that as obscene. Okay. That was a pretty common sense idea. Uh, it goes back to even like consider the 1970s, the motion picture association of America said the government said, we're going to regulate these uh, sexual scenes and swearing and violence, or whatever, or you regulate yourselves and don't let Kids under the age of 13, so we have a PG-13 rating. Don't let kids under the age of 17 for rated R movies. And then there's a rated X movie, which they don't do that anymore in theaters because you could do it at home and on your phone. But if you were going to do that, then that's what they would have, like actual, like grossly sexual content. And and so they had a, a system. They were like, yeah, I got it. Okay. There are, there are standards in America and certain standards must be enforced for children. Florida passed that for in-person men dressed as women sexual dance shows. And there's an injunction that was that was uh, put in place by a district court that said it cannot be enforced statewide. And the the Court of Appeals Circuit said, well, we don't want to touch that. The Supreme Court said we don't either. So they've backed away and they've allowed this district court, this uh, this woman to this female judge, I think it is to to basically allow an injunction across the entire state. Because of one place called, I think it's called something hamburgers. It's a hamburger joint that also does drag shows. Sounds like a riot. Um, that sounds like something you would have as a weird lure that nobody wants to go to it. And I don't want anything to do with it. I'm sure that parents are not going there. But straight up, imagine that uh, we can't have any standards at all. And my buddy's like, why are there not like 100 dudes and bulldozers just driving through that courthouse? <laughs> just on all sides, just plowing the courthouse off into the ocean. And I was like, oh. 
That's, that seems like it's covered by the Second Amendment, actually owning a tracked armored vehicle. That's my long way of saying it. <laughs> I, I mean, did you track on the, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, what they're advertising it's going to be? I did not. Oh, it's going to be a drag extravaganza. Unapologetic, the whole thing. So the, the tradition where you sit around, and like, I never watched the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, but I think a lot of people do as a family. They, they throw it on maybe in the background. They don't want to watch the football game, but they, right. they're eating... There's this weird sort of we, we eat unusual food for Thanksgiving and we have to eat it at unusual time. Like dinner's at three o'clock. It's just this odd thing yeah, we do. It's the only time of the year that you're like, <laughs> hey, we're gonna eat multiple hours early. And I know we never have turkey, but we're gonna have turkey. Let's cook up an <laughs> we, enormous bird that we would never try to mess with once a year. Yeah, which is a very complicated and difficult dish to actually prepare out. Weird tradition it is. I get it. I mean, it's like throwback <laughs> stuff. Every once in a while you should do things that are unusual that are like harkening back to an old tradition, but like I I, I'm, I don't take the risk of turkey. We've been doing steak for years, so we may get a nicer steak, but we're doing steak, I think, and we do it on a grill because that's what makes sense to me. I think I think beef is today's is, I'm, is hey man today's turkey. I uh, am I'm weird. I, I I like turkey. It's it's my favorite. So my wife always does a really good job. She's kind of got it locked in now. She knows what she's doing. Uh, and, and I don't know if your wife is like all, this, but I, think I know, I'm, in, uh, I'm in favor of you eating period. So if it's more than almonds, like go with it. <laughs> Are you getting a delay on your end? What's going on on your side? Did we lose you? We've lost Steve again. <laughs> he can't hear me. <laughs> all right, Steve, I'm pulling you out. I'm pulling you out. Come back. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up people. Oh, it's so good. All right. Well, I want to uh, let me hit a sponsor, and then we'll come back in. We'll bring Steve back and say, "Can you? Are, are you just? What, what are we doing today? Your your quality has just dropped. Your audio. Can you even hear me? I can now. Let me reset it. I'll go drop back in. <laughs> I love doing a live show, people, because we get to see in real time exactly what sort of uh, effery that we would have been able to edit out. And I don't want to edit it out. I actually want you guys to experience it too. It's good times. Uh, let's do one of the one of our folks over. Let's talk about Patriot Coolers. I'm just not even going to pull their website up because I have them in front of me. Look at this. I'm running multiple Patriot Coolers today. It's probably good because I need it. We've got this 16-ounce desk tumbler. It's got coffee in it. I don't want to drink it just yet, but I've got it. I got my backup over here. This is the 19-ounce. The other day, I think I said it backwards. I said it the uh, the wrong way, but this is the bigger of the two. They don't look like it, but this one will fit into your cup holder. Check them out. It's patriotcoolers.com, patriotcoolers.com. Use promo code KYLE. gets you 10% off. You can get yourself one of these guys, which I have as well. Steve, I'm taking you off for a second here. <laughs> Hold on a second, buddy. You can do Patriot Coolers for this one here. Check this guy out. This one says Patriot right there. It's in the OD green. They all got the flag on them. If you're not going to uh, Garrett's store and getting the flags, and you're going to have a suboptimal Patriot cooler. But go to their website, patriotcoolers.com, patriotcoolers.com, promo code Kyle, 10% off, 10% off, and free shipping if you spend more than 50 bucks. So buy one for you, buy one for a friend. Holidays are coming up. They make a great gift. Nobody's going to be sad about it. Their packaging is outstanding. It is patriotic looking. They have American flags on them. They say Patriot on all corners, and they pack them very nicely. So check that sucker out. Comes with a little Patriot cooler sticker if you're a sticker person or you want to give them to your kids like I do and then they stick them on things and then your wife yells at you. Maybe that's just in the Seraphin household, but I love stickers and I have to give them to my kids. Otherwise, I will put them on my stuff and she's always like, what are you, 15? you 15, you're putting your stickers on everything? Yeah, basically. I'm a grown-up with a grown-up budget and still sort of 15 years old. 
So there is that. Uh, Steve dropped off again. Here, we're going to keep going. Let's keep pushing. I want to bring up this next one here. This is my number three. This, man, this one is really weird, folks. We had a, uh, like I said, a tweet that came out that called my attention to this. I had no idea that there was going to be some overlapping fields of fire. And this one right here, this article here was written by Real Clear Investigations. Most of this I'm going to read to you. Most of the article I'm going to share with you because it's so interesting to me. Paul Sperry is a writer over there. He tweeted this out a couple days ago, and this article is dated quite a ways back. But it says that the Washington Post, uh, their national editor, Mattia Gold, has to recuse herself from any coverage of the FBI or the DOJ over a personal conflict of interest. Okay? And the conflict of interest is her, her husband, a guy named Jonathan, Jonathan Lesnar, L-E-N-Z-N-E-R, Lesnar, was named the chief of staff over at the FBI. Now, I'm going to tell you why that's relevant, but first, we're going to read a little bit about it. So uh, the Post spokesperson told Real Clear Investigation, the paper's managing editor, Steve Ginsburg, will be overseeing DOJ coverage and FBI coverage because this person is no longer, she's, she's not considered unobjective and she's not uh, having any problem with her credibility. They're just saying because of their standards, because they have standards over there at the Washington Post, it's news to you as well. They have every confidence in her professionalism, but she's recused herself because her husband actually works for one of those agencies. Well, why is that interesting? Who is this guy, Jonathan Lesnar? And that's really where the story gets so interesting to me. He has a very long history and connection to the Clintons. Hmm. You remember we were talking about that guy, Jonathan Buma, the other day? On Wednesday, I think it was, we were talking about how he accused the FBI of having a pro-Trump bias because you had those pro-Trump guys like Andy McCabe, whose wife was receiving money from uh, Clinton cutouts. You had uh, those guys like Peter Strzok, who's a section chief, who was so pro-Trump, he was ready to like smell the Walmart on the Trump supporters. You guys remember those people, right? Um, all those pro-Trumpers that were out there trying to cover up for Trump that were lying on FISA applications. And they were putting a uh, a false FISA document and affidavit in front of the court, literally altering the text so that it meant the opposite of what was said. Those people, those people, apparently, those pro-Trumpers also have interesting ties to the Clintons, even at the chief of staff, which is going to be the person who's in the office of the director. It says in this thing. Uh, Gold, who's going to be, like I said, that editor for Washington Post, married Lesnar in 20, uh, 2006. And this guy, Lensner, is the son of the late private investigator, Terry Lensner, who earned the reputation as the Clinton's private CIA. This is their quotation, not mine. In digging up dirt on Clinton mistresses and other enemies, he helped squash a series of things that, uh, that Hillary Clinton famously called the bimbo eruption. You guys might have remembered that from the 1990s. So Hillary Clinton was involved in this as well. And during that uh, impeachment probe, Kenneth Starr, called him before the grand jury to testify about his aggressive investigative work on behalf of the president. Now, that is the chief of staff of the FBI's father. And you say, well, they're not necessarily the same thing. Well, it turns out that um, that John is also a Democrat and a Clinton donor, and he donated at least $1,700 to Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign, according to the Federal Election Commission records. And then he was appointed in December of last year to be the chief of staff. So that's no big deal. We've got Clinton donors that are running it, even though we, we are having this weird allegation. This, this is why all this stuff starts coming out and you start realizing like, oh my God, 
what is happening behind the scenes? I had no idea that they had not just the Andy McCabe, who was the deputy director, and he was the acting director, right? He was the number two, and then for a while, he was actually the number one. He was the number one when one of my children were born. They have a weird policy in the Bureau where you can actually get a, uh, a document signed by the FBI director. It's like a, you know, congratulations on the birth of your child kind of deal. And uh, the director theoretically signs it and they mail it to your office and you get it. And it's like, you know, we're so happy for your family. Kind of a neat thing. I've, uh, I didn't get one from Comey. Maybe I did. I can't remember if I've got it in an envelope somewhere. But I think we got one from Mandy McCabe when uh, my second daughter was born, which is really weird because he was the acting director. So I actually managed to see three FBI directors during my short time at the FBI. Only six years, we had three directors. And one of them turned out to be someone whose wife was getting money from the Clintons. Of course, they hired this guy. Uh, everyone always says, well, Chris Ray, he's a uh, he's a Republican. I mean, he was he was nominated by President Trump. It's like, well, he kind of got conned into that, it sounds like. If you guys don't know the story of Chris Ray, he was making $9.2 million as a fixer for uh, for the swampy type Republicans, including Chris Christie. So if you don't want Chris Christie creams nomination, maybe maybe you think that he's not the kind of guy that you would normally put in there. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, if Trump gets back into office, we can correct that failure, absolute failure from uh, late 2017 when Chris Ray came in. But yeah, he appointed a Clinton donor. Why wouldn't you? Why not? I'm sure it just stood on the merits. His political uh, leanings had nothing to do with what was going on. But this is quite interesting. And for me, looks like we got Steve Friend back. So I'm going to bring him up here. Steve, uh, have you notified everybody what's going on outside? Tell them to stay away. We're not talking anything bad. It's just just facts. Yeah, just facts. I mean, look, they're they're gonna do what they're gonna do, right? I was just always six oh one today. I thought it was okay, but I guess uh, at uh, ten Eastern, I need to check on my my internet opsec. At did you go do a run? Nope. Steve's gone. All right, bud. <laughs> friendly Friday will not be nearly as friendly, but we lost Steve friend again. <laughs> We can't make it up. We'll figure this thing out. Uh, we'll get it done for next week. Uh, until that point, let's continue and press on because I want to show you guys what I'm talking about. When I say that they are doing something shady, let's look at this one right here. This is from our friends over at Judicial Watch. Many of you guys know Judicial Watch. You're familiar with what they're about. They are a government accountability advocacy group. They work more on the political right than not, but not necessarily. And... Um, and Tom Fenton's the president over there. He does a really good job of putting things out there. I'm gonna actually hide this. Uh, I'm gonna hide that piece right there. Okay, so Judicial Watch says, FBI records show that top officials were rushing to craft a response to the leaked memo revealing the targeting of Catholics. Oh, what memo was that? That's the one that yours truly, an unnamed whistleblower within the FBI, exposed, showing that radical traditionalist Catholics, these are Latin mass Catholics, a pretty... Pretty nice group of human beings, if I've ever met one, were being targeted for their potential susceptible recruitment to white supremacy. And we should say that one more time. If you're new to our channel or you're not familiar with the story, there's nothing more interesting to me than knowing that the FBI looked at people who go to Latin mass and believe in traditional Catholicism, pre-Vatican II Catholicism, and said, those are the kind of people that are going to be joining the white supremacist ranks and getting into what they called racially motivated violent extremists. Now, the words that the FBI says don't mean anything in real life, but they are basically calling, that's a euphemism for white supremacy, almost exclusively, just in the same way that being a uh, anti-government, anti-authority violent extremist is a euphemism now for being a Trump supporter, all really, really ugly. 
Uh, this is the stuff that we're talking about. So what happened is this, and, and if you're donating right now to Catholic Vote, then you are helping fund their FOIA request. They sent me the FOIAs. I was sworn to secrecy for a little bit until Judicial Watch did this particular expose and put out their public statement. Since they did this week, I can talk about it a little bit more. I've read the 131 pages of redacted information that came from the FBI. So that's part one. And what do they have in here? They've got all kinds of little, uh, little tidbits. It's almost exclusively not discussing how did we screw up? How do we screw up and what can we do to fix it? They didn't do that at all, okay? What they did do, what they did was they said, how in the world do we spin this and how can we prepare the document, which they knew was gonna eventually get requested by Congress for its proper release to Congress by redacting it in ways that are appropriate and making it look less bad. It is a 100% scrambling behind the scenes CYA fest in 131 pages. Now they have unbelievable amounts of redactions to it. And I think I'm gonna actually be able to pull these up here and show you guys exactly what I mean. So stand by, we're actually pulling up the webpage here and I'm gonna just gonna do the view. Here's the uh, some of the stuff on here. Let's see if we can scan through. This is what it looks like when the FBI sends you a FOIA document. If you've never done this before, this is how it comes in. So these again, obtained under FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act, which in theory is a sunshine law that allows you to uh, see what's going on in the government but in reality, it's just government CYA nonstop. And what you'll notice over on the far right-hand side in all the margins, B6, B7, 1, 4, et cetera, et cetera. This one says B6-3, B7C-3. These are the exceptions to the FOIA, which are kind of like government get-out-of-jail-free cards that they can cover up names and actual information so that they don't have to tell you the information that you are, are, are authorized to get under law. They have to respond to you, but they don't have to tell you everything, and they can redact it to the point where it is of no value whatsoever. You'll notice they've redacted the name of the person from the National Press Office and the phone number of the person at the FBI's National Press Office in the first piece of this, uh, this particular return. Why do they do that? Because even though that person is funded by federal government monies, and even though we are talking about someone who is a public servant, theoretically, and swears allegiance to the Constitution, has no right um, their, their job is not classified. The work they do is not classified. Their, their ability to be a private citizen, like they work in the press office for the FBI. They literally respond to the Washington Examiner in this case, uh, the Daily Signal, which comes out of Heritage Foundation in this case. They literally respond to people in the press, but they never want their actual name cited. Why is that? Like, why would that be a big thing? Why would you not just say like one of the FBI spokespersons? And, and their phone number, maybe you don't want to put that down. You could, they probably shouldn't have their specific phone number anyway when they're doing this. But what you're seeing is all these different little uh, tidbits. And even with this garbage that we are seeing from them, from the FBI, what we notice is the way that government emails are structured. We can see how this is playing out. So from, redacted, unknown. And then in parentheses, we see OPA. That stands for the Office of Public Affairs. And then the government agency, FBI. If you're not familiar with government emails, this is how they work. Okay, you'll look at another one. There's one named Tanya Uredza or something like that, Ugo Reds. And that is DI, that's the Directorate of Intelligence, FBI. You see another one, uh, parentheses, RH, Stanley Medor, uh, who I believe is the special agent in charge. That's the field office that was involved. RH is the Richmond field office. Every FBI field office has two letter designations. So you're seeing all these things. CTD, why was the counterterrorism division informed? Who knows? Inspection division. That's also really fun. And for me, some of this stuff tells you that there's spin because there's a lot of Office of Public Affairs going on, but they're also doing an internal investigation to find out who was involved. That's what the inspection division piece is there. And there's tons more of it. 
okay? Lest you think otherwise. These people did not care about doing the right thing and exposing it and saying, oh my God, uh, somebody wrote a terrible document, which is kind of what Merrick Garland has said and what Chris Ray has said. They say, oh, um, what, what, you know, we're, we're aghast and we're appalled and we, we, it was unacceptable and it was not tolerable. Really? Because all you guys did was figure out how to play spin games. None of you were interested in actually fixing the problem and saying, hey, we need to figure out, there's my article right there, this article. They returned the article that was publicly available because the FBI was sending it around, just so you guys know. And then the inspection division was beefing up their case because technically at that point, the FBI still considered me an employee, despite the fact they hadn't paid me in, I don't know, six or eight months by that time. And then of course, in... Um, what was it, April of this year, I had to tell them that I, I also break up with them, even though they'd already broken up with me. There's another page here. Um, they're just adding people on. They're, they're panicking about incoming um, media requests. So they're adding the Office of General Counsel so they can figure out what their legal grounds is. But once again, you see this uh, inspection division, this Suzanne Turner's on here. It's very interesting to see how much they were scared of what happened. And I think we're going to see some more of these pieces in here. So much of this stuff is not about doing the right thing. That's not what these government agencies do. And that's not how FOIA is, is viewed. They view it as an inconvenience. And they, if you look, look how many names are redacted here. I mean, these are virtually useless. And there's some really funny ones where they said, here's what our talking points are. This is what we're gonna discuss. We'll see if we can pull down to where it says it. They literally redacted entire emails that they sent. Here's one. In that contents, here's a couple of things to note with the situation, all redacted. That comes from the deputy assistant director. That's the assistant to the, uh, to the number two person. Um, in the director of intelligence, Pamela Byron, whoever the heck that is. But they also say the product is leaked. Of course, no, the product wasn't leaked per se. It was actually um, submitted to Congress. That's how we do these things. And we say this looks like a violation of the First Amendment, a violation of rule, policy, or procedure, as we talked about on Wednesday. When you deal with this stuff, when you're dealing in this world, you start finding out more and more that uh, none of this has to do with good faith efforts to try to clean things up. They don't say, oh, whistleblower said this is going on. Oh my God, it is going on. How do we make ourselves better? It's never that. It's just never that. Uh, amusingly, they also added on uh, Jason Jones, who's the Office of General Counsel. He is, in fact, the general counsel for the FBI. Okay. And then as you move further down this little list, you start seeing that they started copying the chief of staff, Lenzner. And he gets a whole thread, which I saw over and over again. And of course, that guy probably actually agrees with all this stuff. Here's my buddy, Larissa Knapp. Some of you guys can see it on the, uh, if you're not watching on a rumble screen, you're missing this. Larissa Knapp, she's the, uh, the executive assistant director of the national security branch. So she's the top person in that. And it's from her about media requests. <laughs> I just think it's really funny. They're all just forwarding emails back and forth in a frantic frenzy. And they basically provided no value for 131 pages of mostly redacted. The only things that would have been of interest were either referencing what was going on on what they call the red side. So if you're seeing this on the screen right now, it says EADs follow up on EAD NAPS red side email. Please see the below context from Pam, which of course is also redacted. The red side uh, is also known as the Simpernet if you're dealing with, um, if you're a military type person, but it is the up to secret, no foreign classification email server. The FBI usually calls it BUNET or BureauNet. And that is where all the secret stuff is. So of course, if it's on the red side, then it's not gonna be susceptible to FOIA. That's literally what they do in these cases. They just go, hey, um, we're not gonna have this conversation on an open email that's un, you know, that is um, unclassified. We're gonna move it onto our classified server. And even though it's unclassified, we're going to shield it and hide it from you. Pretty awful, pretty ridiculous. 
and pretty crazy. We did get another message back from Steve saying that he has full internet running, but he's not going to try to mess up the live stream. And uh, he's very upset because he drove home last night just so he could do the show. Um, we'll figure out what it is. It may be on, it may be just a, a, a classic technical glitch. You never know. But we also don't believe that sort of thing here at the Kyle Serafin Show. Not very often. More of this stuff. Um, folks, if you want to go to this page, I will actually tweet out the, uh, the, the Judicial Watch statement. It's worth your time. It's worth a quick read through it. The best stuff in here is actually called out, in fact, by this press release. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to read that for you real quickly. Let's see here. I think it is. There it is. So yeah, let me read this really quickly because I think, I think seeing it um, and knowing that they were wounded will be the best piece of it. There's a, uh, a little, a little statement where one of the, where one of the CTD folks, and now I've lost it. Of course, I've, I've scanned past it. He says the worst part about it is that it was in fact self-inflicted. It was an unforced error and something about them knowing that they screwed it up. Here it is. It's Ryan T. Young. He's the executive assistant director of the intelligence branch. So he's on level with Larissa Knapp and, and our friend Jenny Moore, who's no longer there, responds to this guy Lenzner once again, and he says, it's really not a good look. Real frustrating when it's self-inflicted. And then, of course, he says, I'll be back in town in a couple of days and we'll figure out some steps. It's all CYA steps. None of it is like, hey, maybe we should evaluate who we're hiring. Maybe we should consider a little bit more rigor in our process, which is kind of what you heard if you listen to these hearings. You'd think that they were appalled and they wanted to fix it. That is not the case. That is not the case. That's because it is a basically evil organization that's captured by these losers that are out there and they're politically motivated. And I'll just say it in plain and simple terms. They're politically motivated. They do not care about their servants to the constitution. They don't care about the bill of rights. They simply care about how does it look for them? And are they going to be able to get a big job afterwards? And, um, uh, Thank God that we have this one lady who's married to the chief of staff just recusing herself from the favorable puffing coverage. Like we're not going to see the same thing out of the Washington Post for the FBI. Dangerous stuff when you're a leftist. Uh, just a couple days ago, you guys would have been upset about the FBI in general. I'm just saying. You used to know that uh, law enforcement was real and then federal agents are a totally different animal. Federal law enforcement cosplay, as we call it here at the Kyle Serafin Show. Folks, you know what I'm talking about. Um, don't name, I'm just seeing the chat says, name your Wi-Fi FBI surveillance fan. Don't do that. That doesn't help anybody. That just makes your neighbors laugh and it doesn't take the threat seriously. Plus, there's no reason for Wi-Fi in a, a surveillance fan. We could talk about surveillance fan another time with Steve Friend, I think. Let's uh, let's talk about our friends over at Pay for Patriots. Uh, really appreciate them. I'm going to run my promo here because I need a quick breath and I'm going to need a little bit more coffee before we finish this sucker out. But uh, for Patriots, forpatriots.com slash Kyle. Check them out. All right, you listen to The Kyle Serafin Show, so you know that we don't think it's an if, but a when things get bad in this country. And when they get bad, you want to be prepared. One of my good buddies says you got two options. You can prepare or repair. I recommend you prepare, and you can go to four, the number four, patriots.com slash Kyle. You can check out all of their survival goods, including their best-selling survival food. There is a thing called the rule of threes in the military. It's a survival concept. It says that you can go for three weeks without food, although I don't recommend it. You can go for three days without water, although that gets really rough. You can go for three minutes without air, but you can't go for three seconds without hope. Failure to plan is planning to fail. Don't be that guy that doesn't know what to do if the lights go out and you don't have a grocery store to go to. That's not where the food comes from. It should come from your pantry. They sent me the 72-hour food pack. We cooked some up. Kids ate it. No problem. This is a victory. Get it done by going to 
patriots.com slash Kyle. You could throw something in your truck, in your van, in your minivan. Keep food where you are in case you can't get to where your food is. This is a real simple problem to solve. It's easy. You throw a couple dollars at it and you can forget about it. They're guaranteed for 25 years. That's an awful lot of time for you to be solving this problem. Go ahead and check it out. For patriots.com slash Kyle or use promo code Kyle if you go to fourpatriots.com. Yeah, there it is. Check them out. Fourpatriots.com slash Kyle. Okay. Um, on top of that, we we did promise you some face act violation discussion. I am going to do that. I'm going to pull the sucker up right now. Face act violation. You guys know what the face act is? The free access to clinic entrances that also protects churches, but doesn't ever get enforced that way. The FBI is is crowing about this. Our buddy Steve Friend uh, had a tweet. He wanted to cover down on it, so we'll have to do it another time. But moreover, this is something that they are crowing about. Nine defendants were convicted of federal conspiracy against rights. This is such ugly garbage. And the Free Access to Clinic Entrances Act for offenses in 2020 in Washington, D.C. A couple things to talk about there. Uh, <laughs> how about the criminal assistant director saying this one? Face act violations such as this one are not taken lightly. And they are serious crimes that endanger people's physical safety and can be traumatizing for patients and for staff. The FBI and our partners will always work to protect every American's access to reproductive health care services. That's really saying the quiet part out loud, isn't it? That's really what they're saying. They're telling you that they want to make sure that they are protecting abortion clinics far more than they're interested in investigating vandalism to churches. They shouldn't be doing either of these. There are much bigger problems in this country. But lest you think that these are actual dangerous people that are doing dangerous things in a dangerous place, it was committed in 2020. The investigations only happened after Biden got in. And that's something. I'm sure it's a total freaking coincidence that they were not interested in doing face act investigations. Doesn't mean they weren't floating them out there. But when I got to uh, to Albuquerque division, when I was out in Las Cruces, I noticed that they uh, they had bumped up the, the counterterrorism threat level for anti-abortion protesters to the number three tiered ban. That was the number three priority for the counterterrorism division, despite the fact that there were exactly two. I've said this a bunch of times, but there were only two abortion clinics in the entire state of New Mexico. One was a surgical facility. One simply gave out pills, and it was in a tiny little town called Anthony. And their 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 justification for this was the fact that Texas had passed a heartbeat bill saying that you could no longer do free abortions everywhere, and that was going to drive a bunch of people into get abortions in New Mexico, which obviously was going to inspire a bunch of violence. That was the logic. If you believe that kind of stuff, then you should actually probably work for the federal government. They, uh, they went out there. The people that they're talking about, there were these dangers to the public that were blocking accesses to clinic entrances was a 75 year old woman from Kingston, Massachusetts. She was convicted in a bench trial. The nine defendants that have been have been uh, convicted in the federal conspiracy against rights. That means that you had to conspire to deprive people of their constitutional liberties, by the way, of which we sort of aside, we sort of know that uh, has been kicked back to the states. You don't have a constitutional right. But um, there are multiple different defendants, men and women, aging from their, um, from their teens all the way up into their 70s and 80s. Uh, and they said, violence and physical obstructions that interfere with access to reproductive health clinics violate the law. That's what the... Um, that's what the assistant attorney general said from the civil rights division. And this conviction sends a strong message by putting a 75-year-old woman into jail. It sends a strong message 
that criminal conduct against abortion providers, they say reproductive health, but let's say it really, and patients will not be tolerated and the perpetrators will be held accountable. She also failed to mention, but she really meant it, that they are diligently looking in to all those attacks on reproductive centers that were crisis pregnancy centers run by Christians, and they look forward to getting some convictions in those, but it's very, very hard because it was dark outside, and when it's dark, you can't find people who have committed crimes, obviously, it's too hard to find them. There's no light. And if you can't see things, how could you find out who they were? Never mind the fact that we found all the J6ers that were inside buildings. And it's very hard to see in buildings because there's a building in the way. But they were able to drop a dragnet. This this um, hypocrisy is what you guys are feeling. And some of it comes down to the fact that the chief of staff used to be a, or is a Clinton donor and a Clinton supportee and a Democrat. And they have Democratic principles that are running this bureau. So lest you think our uh, our fake friend... Jonathan Buma, who very well may be a real, I mean, he is an FBI agent. We've talked to his supervisor. Uh, so we have some contacts to say that he's a real guy. And he may really think that that's going on, but he really seems to be uh, maybe mentally ill if that's the sort of thing that he took away from his time working at headquarters. It makes no sense whatsoever to me or anybody else that I've talked to because that's just not the reality of it. And their actions are much louder than words. They really are. Uh, folks, You've been listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, and we appreciate it. Despite the technical difficulties and the weirdness of not being able to have the actual man, Steve Friend, on Friendly Friday, we've punched through. We're going to have a nice weekend. I hope you guys have a nice weekend. I hope you have lovely weather coming out there. We appreciate you guys giving us thumbs up as you are watching on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. I think that this is the last day that we are going to be doing the YouTube stream. There's only a few of you over there, and I see... All six of you, that's how many people are watching live on YouTube right now. If you're watching live on YouTube and you are uh, interested in keep keeping with the show, please join us on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Come over to Rumble. One, you'll like it. Two, the chat's great. I've seen all you guys. You're going, you guys are rocking and rolling. And three, we don't want to put content out there where the leftist censors are getting track of it and putting it onto a uh, platform that's owned by Google, which seems to be pretty evil and censors us anyway. So we're done. I think we're done. That'll be the end of it. We may have some new announcements. We're going to probably be streaming in a new place that you guys will like. Been talking to some folks. So you guys will see it coming your way very soon. Stand by for a new announcement. If you're on another platform, you might want to uh, watch. We can do that. Uh, until then, let's do a five-star review. You guys have been doing great. We're just at that mark where it's going to be 800, probably by the end of the day here today. Uh, this one is coming from old and out of shape. Once again, it says, my go-to podcast. Kyle has become my go-to podcast the source of information from someone who truly cares about America and great guests. Uh, some days I only have an hour in the car. Kyle wins out. Appreciate all you're doing, Greg. Greg, old and out of shape. Remember, your fitness and your survival are going to be contingent on you being prepared. So check out some of our sponsors. But more importantly, also, take care of yourself. Don't be old and out of shape. You could be better than that. Go out and dig a hole like my dad just did. Uh, what else we got? That's about it. Follow Ryan Matta. He's going to be down in uh, San Antonio if you guys want to keep track of his social media and see what he is streaming at this protest, the border invasion protest that's going on tomorrow in San Antonio, Texas. You can follow him at Ryan Matta Media, Ryan Matta Media, or follow him on True Social at Ryan Matta. And uh, folks, we'll see you after the weekend. We really do appreciate you joining us here. We'll see you soon. Be safe. God bless you. That's it. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.